right, so Matthew chapter 1 and the crucial questions of Christmas. All the people we read about, the Mary, uh, Joseph, the, the, the shepherds, the innkeeper, the wise men, I mean, all of them at, at a point in their stories are given a specific direction from God. And their whole destiny gets decided by how they respond. And the questions that they have to ask themselves, it's amazing. They're the same questions that you and I uh, have to deal with, and they will determine the destiny of our life. And the more brave and the more honest we are in answering these questions, the further in life that we're going to go. So I want to pick up with Joseph's story today. So Matthew chapter 1, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that's legally bound more than the engagement. I mean, in every sense of the word, they're considered legally husband and wife in this culture, except that they have not uh, consummated their marriage. But they're together, and so it's so critical that that the writer says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Imagine. And her husband, Joseph, okay, he's already seen as her husband, notice, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce, again, that word, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to her in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, not, not son of Jacob, by the way, which is his father. He appeals to something greater and to his sense of destiny and to the power of his lineage of you are in the line of King David of Israel through whom the Messiah one day will come. Joseph, listen to me, son of David. Can you imagine what that was like to hear? Don't fear, but take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." There's no human father, but she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, his title, he will be called Emmanuel, the title which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from his sleep, look at this, he did. I just want to stop there. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did. He did exactly what the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want to talk to you today briefly just for a little bit about what do you do when life does not make sense. This is not just a story about Mary and about Joseph and about the arrival of Jesus. This is a story about you. Please don't only see the facts of the who and the what and the where and the when. Understand that all of Scripture, God's purpose in writing these stories and including real people, not plastic, uh, holy, fake, uh, you know, images. These are real people like you and me through whom God worked and for your benefit. The reason why we're reading this and why God put this here is for you. And so the question that Joseph is asked is not just about Joseph. The question is powerful and it's your question as well. What will I do when life doesn't make sense? Will I still trust God when my world is turned upside down? Because Joseph, things happen to you. Joseph, things happen to me. When 
the call comes and the news comes that I wasn't expecting and when the world is turned upside down by some curveball, the job is suddenly lost, the child suddenly becomes ill, the business fails, the one you love walks out of the relationship, health is suddenly broken, the world just falls apart and you hear some news and you say, well, God, you know, what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? Uh, what of what, what is this that's going on? Is this how you treat the people that love you? God, I don't understand. This makes no sense to me at all. If you've ever said any of those phrases, then you know what Joseph felt like. And that's why his question is your question. Joseph's crucial question is, when life doesn't make sense, when I don't understand, will I obey God anyway? Will I obey God when life doesn't make sense? And that's the question that we need to answer this morning. Will I obey God when I don't understand? So let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, just speak so clearly now to us. Make this come alive. Help us to get it. Change our life through it, Lord. Empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit. And let us all be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph, I'm pregnant. I want you to try to imagine the impact of the words, the shock, the, the trauma that he encountered when he heard the two words, I'm pregnant, and his mind exploded. I mean, now all of a sudden there is a, a cloud of scandal, a cloud of betrayal, there's a cloud of shame. There, you know, what have you done? His whole world for the last year was pointed towards a, a union with this young woman. The, the, the betrothal period was more than a year long in Jewish culture. And so here they are approaching this date, and she says to him, I'm pregnant. And he says, how could you? How could you have done this? I mean, how could you have betrayed me? There's only really one explanation here. And she goes, wait, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. Just listen. And he listens to her tell a story that is so incredible and so fantastic and really almost delusional that he says, how could you... T- how could you do that to me? You betray me and now you lie? Now you come up with this? You, you don't even have the respect to tell me the truth? What really went on? I know what went on here. How could you do such a thing? I don't know. Joseph sounds a lot like a real person to me. What do you know about Joseph? What have you heard about him? When was the last time you heard a message about Joseph? There's not, not much information about him. You know, he's the little guy that stands in the back of the manger scene <laughs> or gets buried in the backyard. You know, I mean, I don't, it's poor Joseph. I mean, how do you get that legacy? What do we know about Joseph? Uh, Matthew 13 gives us a one-word description. It says, you know, Jesus was the son of a carpenter. Actually, the word means more than just a carpenter to us. It's, it's more of a, he was a builder. He was a mason and a builder. He could frame and he could lay bricks. He was a, a common man, a working man, a, a strong man, you know, a man's man. But uh, he got this news that broke his heart. What do we know about Joseph? The scripture tells us two things about the construction of his character. It says that he was a just man that he was, he, he was a guy that was known for being a straight-up guy. He's fair. He, he, he's honest. 
He's going to give a day's work for a day's pay. Strong sense of morality. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. And he had a reputation for being fair and for being a righteous man. He was a just man. And so when he hears this news, he's not going to just, you know, I, I want to believe you, but I can't. That fair meter went off. And he says, I, I can't just go through with this now. I can't, I can't just, things cannot be the, the way they used to be. I can't marry you. I can't take you to be my wife. I'll have nothing to do with whatever you got yourself involved with. But he was also a merciful man. He was just and he was merciful, just like God to choose a man to be the influence for his son, who's both just and merciful. And he had a mind, it said, he, he resolved in his heart to, to put her away quietly, to divorce her quietly. I'm not going to make a big public scandal. I'm not going to make some big scene that would surely lead not only to, uh, you know, to her great embarrassment, but perhaps even to her stoning, to her death. He had a mind just to go to the local judge, and the two or three required witnesses was all it would have taken for him to annul uh, this relationship. And so he had a mind to do that. And so Joseph decides, this is what's going to happen. I'm putting her away quietly. I'm going home. And he goes home with, with, you know, quietly, but with a broken heart. A strong man with a broken heart. I wonder how long it took for him to go to sleep that night. And the frustration and the bewilderment and just the idea like, what she, wh- how did this happen? I didn't even see this coming. This came out of left field. Nothing about her ever led me to believe she would do this to me. And so he goes to sleep, a fitful sleep. With, within that merciful sleep, God sends a messenger. This is not some imaginary uh, thing. This isn't just, you know, a dream. It's not some figment of his subconscious. God sends a messenger, an angel to speak to him. This is prophetic communication. God still speaks to people who want to hear his voice. Because Joseph was a just man, I imagine him going to bed saying, God, what am I supposed to do here? What do you want me to do? How am I supposed to handle this? God knows the hearts of the righteous. The Bible says this, that, you know, if you seek him, you will be found by him. I have to believe that Joseph was crying out to God, saying, God, make some sense out of what's going on. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Help me out here. And God would come to Joseph, to this just man, to this merciful man, and say, fear not. Listen, what, what has happened is real. Take Mary uh, to be your wife, because that which is in her is, is conceived, is of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to explain this incredible story, and this story moves Joseph into action. I mean, Joseph gets up from this sleep, the best sleep he ever had, and he moves into action. And his response is what I want us to notice today. There's five things, that, five ways he responded, which are so helpful, because you and I are going to go through the exact same uh, s- scenario in life. What do you do when I don't understand what's going on? Take a look at this. Number one, I will humble myself and do what God tells me to do. That was Joseph's first response. I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to do exactly what God tells me to do it and I'm going to do it immediately. It says he woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. No procrastination, no hesitation. He obeyed the word of the Lord. God, whatever you told me to do, I'm going to do it now. He is first called to believe that what is happening to Mary is what is happening. Not his view. His view was pretty much set. Do you understand? He, he, he knew what went on. He, he had it in his mind to divorce her. He said, I know what went on here. 
It is very hard for a man to go back on something once he's made up his mind. When a man says, listen, I know the facts. I've made a judgment call. I'm a fair guy, but I know what really went on here. And once you've got that set in your mind and you say, this is what went on, you burned your bridge, very hard for a man to come back. And so the first thing he has to do is to humble himself to the possibility that, wait a second, there's an alternate view of reality here, and I didn't get to see all of it. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I misjudged. That is the opening, that is the entryway, that humble, maybe there's another view, is the entryway for God to begin to work in your life. Joseph is the first person that is called to believe the gospel. I mean, certainly Mary is having an experience with God herself, but it's within her body. This is exterior, and God is calling Joseph. Joseph, will you believe the good news that God has come, that God is here, that he's present, that he's stepping into your reality? Will you believe that? What a burden he would take on if he would believe. I mean, to take on, to take, to believe, to, to take on this new reality means to enter into her scandal, to take on her scandal. Joseph the just, if he goes along with what Mary is saying, is now to have everybody think, well, we know what happened, and now he's part of it. How could he take this on? Is he really willing to go down this road with her? You see, Joseph is the first person to really have faith that God was coming into the world. That Listen, Joseph, I'm blowing your mind here. What I'm about to do is bigger than what you can imagine. You cannot see what I am doing, but my ways are higher than, than, than your ways. And my thoughts are greater than your thoughts. I can hear an amen somewhere on that one. That God says that he is bigger than what you think. He is, his, his plan is greater. You don't understand right now, but I'm asking you to hold steady and keep traveling. Keep walking with me. Do what I tell you to do. And he has to have the humility to say, God, I, I, I'm going to accept that there's another way to look at this, and I'm going to keep walking. Humble yourself, Joseph. Get out of, the, get out of, what, uh, of what's causing you to be stuck. And he could have refused. I want you to know this. Just like Mary, he didn't have to say yes to God's plan. Mary might have been a single mother of Jesus. But Joseph responds. Joseph has a choice to make. When I don't understand, will I trust God and do what he tells me to do? Am I going to say yes? He could have been stuck in bitterness. He could have been paralyzed with some kind of vengeful, hurt, broken feelings. He could have said, I'm not going to trust anybody ever again. And I'm talking to somebody right now who you're tempted to go there or you're living there right now. That I'm not ever going to try after what's been done to me and I didn't understand how they could. He could have stayed right there. But he decides, I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. I don't understand all of this but I'm going to just do the next right thing. It's a powerful choice to humble yourself and say, I don't understand, but I'm going to do what God commands. And he did it immediately. It's just a refreshing thing to find somebody who says, well, if God says it, it's done. How would you like to be a man of your word like that, that when God speaks to you and you say, I'll do it, it's as good as done. I'll do it now. Dare to be great. Dare to be a person. See, all the great people are marked by this quality. Like, you know what? It doesn't matter. If God tells me to do something, I'm going for it. No matter how difficult, no matter how amazing, no, much, no matter how much faith it's going to take, if God says he's going to do it, then count me in. I'm in. I'm willing to follow. Dare to be great. And that's what Joseph did. Psalm 119, verse 60, gives a little phrase that I'm sure was in his heart. It says, I will hasten and not delay to obey your command. I hear Joseph saying this in his head. I will hasten. 
I won't delay. I'll do what you say, and I'll do it quickly. And here's a practical reason. You know why you want to do it quickly? Because everything gets harder with time. If God whispers to you, apologize, does it get easier if you wait a day? Or is it easier if you just, you know, do it quick? The longer you wait, the harder something is to tackle. And that's true for almost anything. Lose the weight in your 20s. Believe me, it would be a lot easier. (laughs) Why wait? You know, there's no sense of grudging compliance here. There's no sense of, well, okay, I'll just go along with it. I mean, there's this step up, all right, God, I'm in. And there's a great confidence that comes from that. Let me show you the second thing that that he did, which is a great way that we should respond as well. Number two, I will patiently keep on trusting. Even if I have a whole lot of unanswered questions, I'm going to keep trusting because there's no way I'm getting all my questions answered, but I'm going to keep trusting anyway. This was a profound decision that he made because let me tell you something. There's no way he could have understood what was really at stake here. All he got was about 50 Greek words, three sentences that said, you know, she's going to be with child. It's from the Holy Spirit. Take her to be your wife. I'm going to do something great. He has no idea. He doesn't understand the virgin birth. He doesn't have the masterpiece of Romans and, and, or Paul's letter to the Romans and the book of Philippians and other great passages of the New Testament that explain the necessity of the virgin birth and the sanctity of what God was going to do and the substitutionary work of Christ and the death and the resurrection. He knew none of that. All he knows is that his fiance is being called uh, uh, by God for a great purpose. She's pregnant and God says, take her to be your wife. Listen, listen to what happens. Verse 25, he knew her not, like, so he took her as his wife, but then he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. That just so tastefully and elegantly captures the obvious that there was no real reason why he should have to wait. I mean, he loves this woman now. He's going to be married to her. He's decided in his heart, okay, God, I'll do what you say. And God says, yeah, but you're not to touch her. You're not to consummate this marriage until after the baby's born. What? Yeah, no honeymoon for you. Well, he's a young, he's a young man. And she's a beautiful young woman, and they've been planning this for a long time. And God says, I know, you're going to be married, but no honeymoon. Uh, I've got a plan that's bigger, and I'm not going to explain it all. And he doesn't explain it all. And Joseph sits in the dark, and he has to choose, what am I going to do? It would seem like a minor thing, but Joseph is an amazing man of character who says, you know what, if God said this is the way it's going to be, this is the way it's going to be. And so much would he have not understood. He doesn't have this perspective He doesn't have the perspective, I don't think, to understand what was going on when the baby was getting due and she's, you know, almost there. Is she going to be late? We don't know. She's ready to go. And the word comes, you need to all go to your hometown and register. And there's no way of getting around it. And he has to travel with Mary. And he's probably going, this is not the way I would have planned this. I would have probably arranged this to occur at a different time. Why couldn't she have gotten pregnant by the Holy Spirit just at at a time... When God, you decide, so you wouldn't have to travel on the donkey for, you know, three days. Why, why, why would you arrange it so she has to travel in the last week? Why, when we get to Bethlehem, it's, it's chaotic, it's packed. There's no room in the inn. And he, as a man, has to go back and face his wife and say, the best I could do is the public stable. Think about that. What woman wants to give birth in the unsterile environment of a stall, 
where the smells, I mean, you just drive by the farm. I mean, it's enough. But, I mean, she's going to give birth in there. And it's not really a manger. That's the nice way that we call it. But it's a feeding trough is where the baby was going to be laid. And the swaddling clothes are milk rags. that are. It was all that was available. And he's shaking his head and saying, this is not the way I would have planned this. God, this doesn't make sense. If this is really your... You know, your child, the Messiah. And then he would look at the little fingers themselves just coming up out of that manger, feeding trough. And for him to have comprehended that, that those hands were the hands that formed the universe, that this is actually God himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is God almighty, all-powerful. God who spoke and the universe and all of the systems that govern it came into existence. We don't even understand really today. This, this is you. This is, this is God, the eternal, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Everything the prophets spoke. I don't even know if he got all of that. Because when the different visitors would come, it would say they would ponder these things in their heart and they didn't really understand. All I'm trying to tell you is Joseph is a real guy who when life goes through its curves, he doesn't understand either and neither do you. You don't get it when life shifts its course. And so what do you do when life doesn't make sense? And Joseph shows us so beautifully as a powerful, as a man of God, but a man with a lot of doubts and a lot of unanswered questions. And he says, I'm going to keep trusting while I'm waiting. I'm just going to keep doing the next right thing. And I'm so glad that he did that. Because there's a lot of times when life doesn't go like we plan. And I just wonder if you don't see the incredible confidence in Joseph. Maybe you've never seen it before, but doesn't he always appear to be this calm sort of guy that you know, he's in control, he's there, he's present, he kind of knows what to do. God speaks to him and he responds. He seems like a pretty confident man. Here's the incredible thing. God gives incredible peace to people who just start to obey him. It doesn't make sense, but they have this sort of like, you know what, God, I surrender the all-knowing department and uh, I'm just going to do the next right thing. And the confidence starts to grow. There really is peace that passes understanding. There really is peace in the middle of your problems. He, you can trade your peace for his, which your peace is all about knowing all the facts and knowing all the answers. And he says, you're not going to know that. But, but there's incredible confidence that comes from, God, I'm just going to do the next right thing and leave the future to you. So, you know what? How's this all going to work out? I don't know. Where's this all headed? I, I don't know. But I know what I had to do next. And I don't care what you think about it. I don't need your approval. I don't need your blessing. I don't need you to understand or to validate what I'm going through. I'm just trying to please the Lord. That's the way you can live. You don't have to look for everybody's little wink and nod. And am I doing? Just if you know, this is what the Lord says, then just do it. Obey and leave the results to him. Let me give you the third thing, which leads right into this, that you can learn from Joseph, is that you will choose obedience over your comfort. Oh, this is a hard one, because everything, we want our, we love our creature comforts, don't we? But he chooses obedience over comfort every time. Do you realize that after the baby was born, 
between when the baby was born and the wise men showed up that it was about two years of time. I mean, it all shows up in the manger at Christmas for the play, but it's about two years of time that goes by. And Joseph has been successful. They have decided to stay in Bethlehem. They, they, they have a house now. And He's, he's obviously established himself in some way to contribute and to pay the bills and to provide this home. And, and then these visitors show up, these, these wise and scientists from the East that come and present gifts. And it's, wow, we don't understand. And life is going good. And the word of the Lord comes to Joseph a third time. And he says this, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord, or excuse me, verse 13, my, my mistake, When the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. Because Herod's about to destroy the boy. So he gets up on, I mean, that night, rise, get up and, you know, depart to Egypt. And so he rose, took the child and his mother by night, departed to Egypt. Immediate obedience. Imagine, Mary, we got to go now. Grab what you can. We're leaving tonight. And they're leaving behind their security, their friendships, their relationships, their home, their belongings, all that they have. It's just throw on some clothes and get what you can carry, and we're gone. And they're now refugees, Jewish refugees, on their way to Egypt. Not comfortable, not an easy situation. And see, this is the lesson for you and for me, that if you're sitting around going, this doesn't make sense and this is so hard, listen, this is how God works. He will lead you into situations that are uncomfortable. Because when I stay comfortable, I don't change. I let everything stay exactly the same. And God is after your growth. He's not after your comfort. And so there is something about God with his purposes that says, come with me. It's not going to be easy, but I'm going to do something great in your life. I, I would much rather just eat comfort food. Oh, it's so much better. It just tastes so much better. I could go to Sam's and just about eat everything that they have over there because it's just so much better. All that comfort, there's a reason why they call it that because it just makes us feel good, but it's so bad for you. And uh, if I'm going to eat, you know, I don't love celery. But I have to eat a lot of that now, and, and, I have to, and I'm trying to watch it, and it's uncomfortable, and it's like, a, really? I don't get excited about, you know, seeds and wheat and all this stuff that I'm supposed to eat now. And uh, it's uncomfortable, but I know it's going to produce something good in me. It's going to, you know, maybe one of these Sundays I'll come up here and, you know, be, you know, all like where I'm supposed to be. But I'm not there yet. It's going to be a hard road. I hope that Steve's book works for me this next year break through some walls. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be comfortable. And I don't like to run either, but I'm going to have to keep running. I'm going to have to keep running. And you know, an object in motion, it's easier to keep in motion. So as long as I keep going, it's not so bad. But if I stop, it is hard. Okay. So why is it that we think that we we can understand that analogy, but we think that when difficult things happen, it's so hard. God, where have you? Have you abandoned me? No. God's just taking you through some things to create something great in you, to make you strong and to make you better and to use you in a different way. Change is not comfortable, but growth is always good. You might write that down. Change is not comfortable, but growth is always good. It's uncomfortable to give when I'd rather hold back, right? It's uncomfortable to forgive. It's not easy to do that. It's uncomfortable to break a habit that I'm so used to. 
It's uncomfortable to go to someplace new or unknown or to start something new and different. It's uncomfortable uh, to face a fear or to have a difficult conversation. It's always uncomfortable to do the right thing. When we talk about this offering next Sunday, and I, I think it's just an uncomfortable prayer. Let's be real about it. God, I want you to tell me and speak to me. Whatever you want me to give, I'll do it. Scary prayer. It's not comfortable to pray that, but there's great things that happen when we yield ourselves to God and we say, God, you can tell me anything, and you know I'd say yes. Difficult, hard. Christmas itself can be a difficult season for so many people because it's December, and for some reason when we get to this time of year and it's Christmas, we all, we, you know, everybody falls off the wagon, and it's hard, and uh, we go back to our old comforts, and people seek out old relationships, and everybody gets in more fights, it seems, in December, and everybody's reaching back to the things that would give them the comfort, and they haven't done it any better for you than they did last year. It didn't work, but we still keep going back. And so I want to invite you this year to do December differently than you've done them in your past years. Listen to the word of the Lord. It says this, Praise be to the Father of our, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. God can bring comfort to us when we simply say, God, I'll go the path that you have me, that you have me on. I'll follow you. I'll say yes to what you want. I won't go back to my old habits or my old, you know, to my old uh, stuff that I, that I turned to for years. Don't miss out on the comfort that God can give. When you're tempted to get into that old pattern, that old habit, that old, you know, you'll say, God, I'm willing to do something different. I'm willing to face the uncomfortableness of asking for help or for admitting that this is something I need help with. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you know. You've sat here week after week listening to me talk to you, and I know all of us, all of you, have places where God's already told you what to do, but fear is holding you back. Or maybe it's just that it's going to be uncomfortable, and that's what's holding you back. What is holding you back? See, the lesson from a guy like Joseph, who's God's man, who's really a guy who's no better than any of us, but a guy whom the Lord knew he could trust. Whatever I say to this man, he's just going to do. And so that faith became real. It wasn't dead. He started to act on faith, and God says, this is a man that will follow me. And this is the fourth thing. I will keep on taking the risks that God puts before me. That was Joseph's attitude. And that doesn't mean that it was easy. Can you imagine that you've gone to Egypt now, you've taken uh, the mother and child, and you're there, and you just get established there, and the word of the Lord comes to you for a fourth time. Look what the angel said. When Herod had died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. This is the fourth time, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life is dead. So how scary was that? Okay, now go back. And Joseph's like, man, I heard what they did to all the babies back in Bethlehem. And we just got here, and we just got settled again, and now you want us to pick up and go back? And if I get this wrong, if this isn't the right decision, I'm putting my family in danger. But he took God at his word, and he obeyed immediately, and he went to go back to Israel. This is a guy who knows how to handle doubt and faith at the same time. Some of you think that, you know, if I really had a lot of faith, I wouldn't have any doubts anymore, and that's just not true. You always have doubt. In fact, there is no faith without doubt. Faith is when you pick up your doubts and you say, but I'm going to follow God anyway. I'm going to trust God anyway. I'm going to do, even if I'm scared to death, I'm going to saddle up anyhow. And so God says, I want you to go back. And so he has to figure that out and say, you know what? 
All right? Yes, we'll go. And he picks up his doubts and he keeps on walking. This verse in the Old Testament maybe went through his mind in Psalm 56.3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, not if, or, you know, if I got rid of all my fears. When I'm afraid, that's when I'll put my trust in you. And if all of us were honest, you could talk to me about the fears that you had just this last week. Fears about your future. Fears about your health. Fears about your children. Fears about your relationships. Maybe just the fear of what will people think of me in this situation. And, you know, what are they, what are they saying about me? And all the little stuff that goes through your mind. What, you know, the fear of, uh, you know, just of fear itself. Where does fear have control over you? Why won't you just take the little risk that God put in front of you and say, God, well, I'll trust you and say yes. If you want to defeat fear's control, that's how you do it. You start saying yes to the little things that God puts in front of you. What is it that God has been speaking to you about? Is it to forgive someone? And you've heard that a hundred times, and you're saying, but that's going to be too hard. Do you want to stay stuck? Face it and take the risk and forgive. What unexplainable risk to you when life doesn't make sense and God says, this is what I want you to do. I think you know what it is. I mean, everybody in some way, they have this sense that they know what they ought to do. I don't think there's a person in here that would be confused about what you think is the next right thing you ought to do. Then you ought to do it. You should take a risk. And maybe it's a big risk. I'm not talking about like going to Vegas and like putting it all on number seven, you know? I mean, some crazy, if I, if I win God, then I'll tithe, you know, or something like that. You know, everybody says that, I'm not talking about crazy risks. I'm just talking about what's the Christ-like risk, the next right thing to do. Is it to get baptized? Is it to finally say, I'm gonna get up in front of some people and confess that Jesus Christ is my savior? No turning back, I'm following him from this day forward. You face that risk. Today could be the day. You could get right in that water right after this service. We've got everything prepared, all the towels, the clothes, everything, and maybe today's the day you take that risk. Say, God, it's my day. Maybe it's the day that you say, okay, enough. I'm going to actually not just sit. I'm going to start to serve. I'm going to give my life away. Maybe it's uh, the risk of going across the street or across the cubicle and inviting that person to a Christmas Eve service. Maybe it's starting to invest in a relationship for the sake of, of Christ. Maybe it's picking up the phone. You were prompted to do it. And just to say, I love you to somebody, and you know you should have done it, and you didn't. What is the risk that God's asking you to do? Sunday after Sunday, you hear his voice. When are you going to take the risk? And this is the last thing you can learn from Joseph. In the end of the day, it's just that trust that God is in control, that what is happening to you is not random, that this didn't just happen, that you didn't miss it, that into everybody's life, good and bad happens, that the, the news will come, and everybody at some point in their life faces the betrayal barrier, uh, which is, God, I thought... And you feel betrayed by God. Everybody feels that at some time. You're not the only one. But will you trust God that he's still in control? Like Joseph, you have a choice to demand explanations, to shake your fist at God, or to get bitter, or to be paralyzed, or drown yourself in your comfort and stay stuck, or you can trade your peace for his. And what is different about you than Joseph? Absolutely nothing. There's no difference between him and you. And for some of you men, you can identify with him better than anybody. He was a man's man who had to simply pick up his doubts 
and just do the next right thing. So what are you willing to risk? And what is God saying to you to do next? And where can you trust him? Do you have to wait for it to all make sense? You're going to be waiting a long time. I remember a, a little girl last year, a week ago, right to right now, I went with her parents down to Riley Children's Hospital, and she was facing brain and spinal cord surgery. Little Kate is eight, was eight years old, and she's old enough to know what she was facing. So she was pretty anxious, pretty scared. And uh, as I talked to her, I could see her so anxious and nervous, so I held her little hands and I said to her, Kate, let me teach you a verse, Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And I watched her for the next half hour mouth those little words and quietly to herself, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. The nurses came and they took her back for the surgery and I was left in the waiting room with the parents. A few minutes later, the nurse came out to give us some news that as they had put the anesthesia mask on little Kate's face, uh, she yelled out, stop, stop. And so they pulled it off thinking something was wrong. And she said, I have to say something. And they said, what is it? And she said, Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I'm ready. And see, that's as simple as it has to be. You're no different than little Kate. You're no different than Joseph. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to figure it all out. You say, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And you just do the next right thing. When I don't understand, I'll do what God commands. That's what I'm asking you to wrestle with today. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we'll say yes to you today. We won't hold back. We'll take great comfort in this story, in this life, in this man, Joseph. And we'll say yes to you. Now, if you're far from God, just, just pray a prayer that you, you know that you're, you've been drifting, you're off the path. Somehow you got here today. I think you were brought here just to hear this message. Will you pray this prayer? Dear Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I turn from my path and I turn to yours. And from this day forward, I want to follow you. I don't understand it all, but I'm going to trust you and just do the next right thing. Will you say, yes, God, that's me. And mean it in your heart. Yes, God, that's me. And Father, I pray that you'd lead every person, whatever they're facing. I, I, my heart goes out to every person who is in pain or in distress because life did not go how they planned. Will you be the God of all comfort to them? Will you strengthen them today? Will you give them hope that there's, that there's more, that this isn't all that there is, that you've got a whole life ahead of them, that, that they can just do the next right thing? So maybe they need to forgive today. Maybe they need to let go of the past. Maybe they need to step out in faith and start something new. Maybe they need to ask for help. Whatever it is, may we say yes to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now listen, I think God speaks to people exactly like he did to Joseph. I don't think that was just Joseph's story. I think God talks to people. I think he shows up in dreams. I think he speaks to people in whispers. I think he speaks through his word. I think he speaks to anybody who says this. God, I want to hear you. I want to hear you. I want to know what you want me to do. Because the scriptures say that uh, seek him, seek the Lord, and you will not be disappointed. That if you seek him diligently, you'll be found by him. So if you have the heart that says, God, uh, 
talk to me and I'll do what you say, he's going to talk to you. Now, to the one who says, God, speak to me and I'll consider what you say, I don't think, I think he leaves you alone. I don't think he talks to you. I think you, you're on your own if you just want to consider what he wants. But if you really genuinely came and said, God, I'll do, I'll give you the upfront 10,000 foot total yes, whatever you say, I think God's going to talk to you. And you can expect him to lead and guide your life. Do you receive that today? All right. Thanks for coming this morning. I'm so glad you listened and you're here. That's a job.